I love that song. The Lord is so good, and I love hearing our church together lift up one voice as one body, one family, even as we had just partaken in communion to, to consider that communion is also a reminder that we are united by the blood of Christ and to lift that unified voice up to sing and to declare, let's praise the name of the Lord our God and let's praise his name forever. It's beautiful. Uh, today we are continuing on in the book of James. So if you've got your Bible, please go ahead and turn to James chapter 4. We're in the ninth week of the book of James, and if I'm honest, this is longer than I thought it would be. I had planned for the book of James to go six weeks, but as I have been week after week um, doing sermon prep and studying and praying, there have been plenty of times that I've gone, yeah, I can't get that far in one sermon. So, uh, And that happened again this week. In fact, on Thursday, I was doing sermon prep uh, with my intern, Sam, who's, who's helping me, and and we were discussing how far this sermon should go. And we were going back and forth. Do we just cover this one tiny section and this long? And considering, oh man, if we go all this, I mean, this could tie in together. But my ability to preach that in one sermon is going to be really challenging. So we're going to stick with today, James 4, 13 through 17. Now, as you're turning there, has anyone in this room ever made plans that didn't happen? Uh, 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 probably all of us, right? Okay, so this weekend, I'll just use myself and as, an, as an example. Katie and I had a pretty full, pretty busy weekend. Um, Friday and Saturday are our off days. And so Friday, we had one of the most full Fridays that we could both remember. Our schedule was just slammed full. We had to get the girls to school. Katie had some things that she had committed to on Friday morning. My primary objective over the weekend was to get the lawn cut. That was my main goal. And so I'm thinking, okay, let me look at what I can't control. I'm going to look at the forecast, and I'm looking, and I'm going, okay, it looks like Friday morning's probably my best shot. So while she's away doing her stuff, I'm going to get out the mower, I'm going to cut the grass, listen to a podcast, and have a great time giving glory to God, taking care of this lawn. And uh, then in the afternoon, of course, we had to get the girls from school. We had some things to take care of around the house. We had to get Joey to her ballet pictures right after her ballet pictures. We had their end of the school year program right after the end of the school year program. Our cousin uh, was on Wheel of Fortune Friday night, so she, they had a watch party. It was pretty cool. And all these things that it was just like a lot. Not to mention Saturday, we thought we'd spice up our life a little bit by adopting another dog. And uh, so that threw some curveballs in there because I'm thinking, okay, we've got men's breakfast Saturday morning, and then we'll go to Appleton to pick up this dog that they brought up from Louisiana. And that'll all make perfect sense and flow just according to plan. No. Friday morning, I get the lawnmower out. Second time this year, I'm firing it up. And I fill it up, I prime it, I pump it, I start going around the lawn, I get two times around, and it dies. The one time this weekend that I'm looking at the forecast thinking, okay, this is the one time where it's not iffy that it's going to rain and my lawnmower dies. And I try in my massive brain full of all sorts of handyman knowledge to get it going again, and I failed. And so I'm going, okay, well, when am I going to get this done now? Because it's going to rain later. It's going to rain tomorrow. We've got to get the dog. We've got church, all these things. And I start going, I just feel like I'm not going to be able to mow the lawn. Then that day went, didn't get the lawnmower fixed. Saturday, curveball, they were telling us, hey, we're arriving early with the dog. So drop whatever you had planned and get up here. 
And so we had to go do that. We're coming back. I'm going, maybe I can mow the lawn after we get back with the dog. Rain. Can't mow the lawn. Thing after thing after thing. Finally, finally, thank the Lord. I, 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 after doing everything I could to try and fix the lawnmower and realizing I just needed to change the oil, go buy the wrong oil, go back and buy the right oil, change the oil, get the lawnmower working, and before dusk, I got the lawn mowed. All right. Yeah, thank you for your sympathy woos. All that to say, there are many times in life we make plans and things do not go according to plan. And James is somewhat going to bring that into view as we read from James chapter 4, verse 13 today. James says this, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. We recognize as we read your word that we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the truth and that we need your spirit to be at work to help us receive it, to obey it, that you would bring illumination and transformation. God, I ask today that this would not just be a time with an uh, inspiring motivational talk, Lord, but that you would be at work through the reading and teaching of your word, that you would guard from error, that you would guide us into truth, and that you would give glory to yourself by the work that you do today in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we really dive into the meaning of the text that we just read, I want to challenge two errors that I have seen some people teach from the text that we just read. And then after I address these two errors, then we'll dive into the meat of it. Firstly, some have erroneously used this passage, mishandling this text, making it say what James is not trying to say. Some would argue that James in this paragraph of rebuke is arguing against materialism because he says, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Hear me. Although there are many, there are plenty of warnings in Scripture against materialism, against the love of money, against serving money, essentially against the idolatry of possessions and materialism. Although Scripture is full of those warnings, we always want to approach the text to mean what they are trying to say. And in this situation, that's not what James is talking about. In this instance, he's not warning against profitable endeavors. Rather, the context explains that he's warning against an arrogant, overestimated view of ourselves. More on that in a moment. But for now, I just wanted to point out that this section isn't saying don't try to make money. Actually, Scripture teaches us that it is good and godly and right to work and to earn. Scripture says if you don't work, you don't eat. Scripture goes on. Also, Paul, uh, writing to the Thessalonians, tells them, hey, don't just sit on your hands and do nothing waiting for the return of Christ. Work in the meantime. That's my paraphrase. That's not exactly what Paul said. But essentially, Scripture does teach us to work, and uh, so that's not what, what James is saying here. Secondly, the other thing I want to point out that he's not saying here 
that some have said he's doing uh, in, this, in this section, he is not forbidding planning. As some have also wrongly argued, saying that James is teaching it's sinful to make plans at all. Uh, rather, that's not biblical either. What we will see as we look into this text more is that the sin isn't in the planning, but in the arrogance and the illusions of control in our planning. In fact, what is very present throughout Scripture is the relationship, the handshake between God's sovereignty, which is his power, his authority, and his control, and man's responsibility, the things that we are commanded to do and obey, the choices that we make, the things that we do, are very much present throughout Scripture. Proverbs 16 and 9 says this, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We make plans. We do. We should plan, recognizing, though, that it is the Lord who is over all and directs all things. Notice Proverbs and James That verse we just read in Proverbs and what we just read in James, neither of them say, stop making plans. He isn't arguing for this fly by the seat of your pants, wing it, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be type of attitude or mentality. Rather, he's answering that error, the error of saying, we will go and stay and do and make money. That error he is answering by encouraging a different perspective of If the Lord wills, we will go and do and earn. If if the Lord wills, we will do that. We are subject to the ever-present mindset that, that we are under God's will. I think, again, as this challenge of planning, I think about Nehemiah, who received a plan from God to rebuild the wall. I think about Noah, who received a plan from God to build the ark. I think about Moses, who received a plan from God to build the tabernacle and all the instructions of worship. So the idea that we ought not plan is rather silly. Rather, James is asserting that in our planning, we are to humble ourselves before the Lord, recognizing I can want to mow the lawn all I want to, but if he makes it rain, I can't mow. That God is God and we are not. Let's look again now as we dig deeper into James 4, 13 and 17. Let's open that passage again. Verse 13, he says, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life. He's getting existential with them. He's like, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James, as has been the standard protocol for this letter that he's written, this very uncomfortable letter that keeps forcing evaluation and introspection, requiring us to examine ourselves, examine our works, examine our words, examine our deeds. Once more, he challenges us by confronting us and evaluating our perspective as it pertains to our ability to control outcomes in our lives. James is warning us against saying we will do things in this so matter-of-factly way, as if we have the power or the control to make such confident assertions. He reveals the arrogance of this by highlighting that we have no idea what tomorrow will bring. 
how confidently we're like, hey, I'm going to do this, or I'll go here, or I'll do that, or I'm going to do this next year, or make these plans. And James is saying, hey, just a minute. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. And you're saying next year we'll go and do this? He says, you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. Now, let me ask this. Who in this room <laughs> has ever said, next year I'm going to fill in the blank? Probably all of us, either you just don't want to raise your hand or you're a liar or <laughs> like all of us have done that, right? We've all said, next year I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And even if that's not only something that we have done, most of us do it often by saying next year or next month or whatever that might be. We have become so comfortable, so comfortable in our arrogance or our misplaced confidence that we are in control. Uh, this makes me think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where the author of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. I feel like this is Solomon giving us the Old Testament picture here in this wisdom literature that James might be hearkening back to in his wisdom literature, wherein he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will go and do such. Proverbs telling us, hey, we trust way too much in ourselves. We depend way too much on our own understanding, our own knowledge, our own skill, our own ability, our own experience. And Proverbs is telling us, hey, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not yourself, not all those other things, not what you bring to the table, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding because that's really shaky. Your own understanding is extremely limited. Your own understanding is extremely short-sighted, extremely uninformed. When you consider the understanding of the Lord and his view of our lives, Compared to our understanding, we are so limited, so finite. We consider that we have at our access the good, loving, kind, sovereign God who is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. Omniscient, meaning all-knowing. He is sovereign, meaning he has all authority, rule, and reign. And it is so foolish for us to not consult him all the time. All the time, over every matter. That doesn't mean that every single moment of the day we have to stop everything that we do when we're about to order our lunch and go, hang on just a minute, I need to pray and fast for a second to make sure that I'm getting what the Lord wants me to order. But also I think about the time wherein, in the Old Testament when we were in Ezra, and Ezra's standing before the king and he has to make the plea for the people to be sent back to the Holy Land, and, and it says he, he, he prayed quietly in his heart. That had to have just been in a moment going, Lord, help. And we could consult the Lord so much more than we do, and we don't sometimes, I think, because we make it more than it needs to be. We feel like we can't talk to the Lord if it's not some huge, big, formal, professional, Lord, thou art God of heaven and earth, and I submitteth myself unto thee that thou mightest guidest me in this decision. Like, God, God knows us intimately. He knows who we are, where we're at, 
He cares about the number of hairs that are on our head, which means he cares about every single moment and every single area of our lives. Why do we not all the more say, Lord, help in every moment? Before every meeting, Lord, help me in this meeting. Before every decision, God, would you guide me in this decision? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Back to the book of James. Notice how he continues making his point, saying, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? He says, you are a mist, a vapor in the wind, here today, gone tomorrow. He's saying these things to put his readers back in their proper place of understanding where they are in the universe, that God is God and we are not, that God is God and we are small. He is infinite. We are finite. He is omnipotent. We are limited in our power. He is omniscient. We are limited in our knowledge. He is sovereign and ruling over the universe, and we are pieces of his story. You are a vapor. This is not just James. This is throughout Scripture. Jesus himself said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Our life is a vapor, a blip on the radar of time, a drop in the ocean of history to the rhetorical question of what is your life? James says, a vapor. There you go. There goes Stephen. There goes Dave. There goes Camber. Matt, Wes, Isaac. That's our life. And although you could sit here and go, man, that's thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of water droplets. You could look at each one of those droplets and think about that could be the many many, many moments and decisions of our life and scripture confronts us and slaps us with a wake-up call that although there are many and although at times it feels long, that's it. Our life is a vapor. It's frail. It's fleeting. It's transitory. And the older you get, I'm only 38, but my goodness, I look at my daughters who are four and six, and I go, how are they already four and six? And every one of you who are older than me are going, I remember when I was 38. And I remember when I was in like the first grade and my brother was in the fifth grade going, I'll never get to the fifth grade. That was a long time ago now. Our life is a vapor it's fleeting. According to one study I found, the average human spends roughly 28,835 days on earth. If we want to consider those droplets from that spray, that mist, that vapor, 
that averages out to 692,000 hours. Now, what's the number one way that those hours are spent? You should know this. Sleep. It's the number one way that those hours are spent on this earth. You know what the number two is? You guys are scared. You're like, I don't want to say the wrong answer. Work. Work is the number two. Brace yourself for number three. Do you know what number three is? Hmm? It's number four. What's that? You guys. Chris, yes. Screens. Televisions, computers, tablets, phones have now become the number three consumer of our days. When your life, I've got the object right here, why wouldn't I use it? All of that is what the Lord gives us. And the third thing we use it on is entertaining ourselves through screens. It's a sobering reality. See, in light of these truths, the fact that we are a vapor, that we are transitory, that we have a short and fleeting time on this earth in light of the scope of our place in the universe. James is trying to help us see that it is awfully arrogant. It's awfully arrogant for us to view our lives as if we can so confidently make plans without the humility that comes from the truth that God is sovereign and our lives are fleeting. This makes me think, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12 where Jesus is teaching through parables. He's with a crowd and he's teaching lesson after lesson with parables and someone in this moment musters up some courage to ask him a question. In Luke 12 verse 13, says someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's like Jesus is teaching this crowd. Like right now, one of you like raises your hand in the middle of the sermon. And I'm like, yeah, we're kind of in the middle of something. And you were like, yeah, could you tell my brother he has to share the inheritance with me? This is what's happening in this moment. He's saying, hey, tell my brother that he has to split the inheritance with me. Verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus is teaching through parable, through a story. 
to try and confront the proneness, the tendency of us in this life to place our hope, our ambition, our goal, our resources, our drive, our focus on what we can acquire, accumulate, achieve, and accomplish in this life, what we can store up for ourselves, what we can build up, collect, and use on ourselves. And in this story, Jesus says this man did it all. He said, I'm going to build it all. I'm going to do it all. And then God said to him, you fool, today your soul will be required of you. Everything that you pour, all your energy, all your focus, all your strategy, all your plan, all your hopes, all your ambitions into means nothing because you will now stand and give an account. This is sobering. All of us know, every single one of us probably don't have to think too hard about one or two or more people in our lives or close to us that we would say left too soon, that died young or died early. I have seen many. You have seen many. Even if you haven't personally felt that, you've seen it in the news or you've seen it on social media. We are not promised one more heartbeat right now. We are not promised one more breath. And Jesus is trying to help us see that it's foolish to place all of our eggs in the basket of our dreams and aspirations and goals of the things that we want to build up and acquire and accumulate and accomplish in this life. Is it wrong to plan? No. Is it wrong to work? No. They're actually good and godly things. The error comes in when that is where we place our hope, that is where we place our joy, that is where we place our meaning, that is where we place our identity. The arrogance of the misplaced confidence, the trust in our own abilities and our own fabrications. Listen, we can make plans all we want to, but we're not promised one more breath. We need to live from a biblical perspective in this ever-present mindset that we are a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. Our number could be called at any minute. Christ could return at any minute. We are all of us, every single one of us, on borrowed time. His time, the author of time, the holder of time. We are on his clock, his schedule. Hebrews tells us that it is appointed for a man a day to die and then the judgment. Well, this is one of those really nice, fluffy, sugary messages today, isn't it? Listen, if, if I love you well, if I serve you well, if I'm faithful to Scripture and faithful to God and faithful to you, it's my responsibility to say, look at the truth that you could walk out the parking lot today. Man, I, I don't like that. This sounds like so many of the sermons from youth rallies that I was growing up to where they're like, you could die any minute. Come to Jesus today. And it becomes like this cliche white noise where you're like, yeah, right, right, we know it. But do we? Do we know it? And if we do know it, is it something that we get in our head or is it something that's sunken down into our heart where we live in light of it? 
where it seeps into every area of our lives, where our planning, our budgeting, our scheduling, our working, our coming and going, all of our doing is oriented around the perspective of eternity. That our hobbies could be shaped within a perspective of eternity. That although golf's my favorite thing to do, I should make sure that I'm having godly conversations out on the golf course. Even though I'm called to be a parent and make sure that my kids are learning life skills and stuff like that, I need to parent in a way that is planting and watering seeds of eternity in the hearts of my children. Although we have jobs to do and work to accomplish, whether that's meeting the bottom line and making sure we're staying in the black and not in the red or making sales or whatever meetings, pitches and budgets and all that kind of stuff, whatever your work might be, can you do it in a way that is formed by a perspective of eternity? Why do we do it all? What is it for? What are we accomplishing? We want to live in light of eternity. We want to live in this ever-present mindset that God has given us a vapor. And at the end of that vapor, we will stand before him and hopefully hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We could have months, we could have days, we could have hours, we could have seconds. And we can so easily go through our lives planning in a way, choosing in a way, behaving in a way as if everything is promised to us. When the one thing that scripture makes clear is inevitable for all of us is that day that we will stand before our creator. Now the comfort, the joy, the good news as we just took communion earlier is that we have a gracious, loving, merciful, forgiving God. Amen? who is eager to forgive our misdeeds, eager to forgive our misuse of our time, eager to forgive our misuse of our schedule and our money and our resources, eager to forgive the misuse of our lives. Yet when we are aware of it, we are called to repent, respond, and live in light of those truths. See, our hope for the future is not in our plans, but in our God. Let me say that one more time. Our hope for the future is not in our plans, but in our God. This life, this world is full of trinkets and toys and distractions and bells and whistles. And the entire culture and society is formed in a way to tell you this is what is worthy of your time. This bell, this whistle, this trinket, this toy, this thing that will only last for so long. And we buy into it and we go, yes, that is what I need. I will finally be happy. I will finally have meaning. I will finally have purpose. And scripture confronts us to say those are unworthy. They are beneath the glory of God. They are beneath the beauty of the face of Christ. They are beneath the eternal joy that awaits us. They are beneath the peace, the comfort, the hope, the love that is given to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God and the Spirit of God confront us saying, lies, lies, lies. Don't buy them. Don't listen. Look instead at Jesus. He is worthy of your time. He is worthy of your money. He is worthy of your schedule. He's worthy of your family, your home, your car, your resources of anything and everything you have. He is Lord over all and He is worthy of all. 
with all those fleeting morsels, those transitory temptations, those shiny bells and whistles that get us to go, ooh, squirrel. May the Holy Spirit within us remind us and go, unworthy, worthy, ooh, unworthy, worthy. Oh, but unworthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. This is the song of eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's no one, no thing, no experience, no place, no person. There is none like him. As we consider the most beautiful things we've ever seen in creation, I have looked at the Grand Canyon in awe. I've been to Hawaii and looked at the beautiful mountains and volcanoes and beaches and oceans in awe. Heck, I go out the back door to Lake Michigan and stand at the edge and go, wow, how is this a lake? And I look at the beauty of creation and I look at the most amazing paintings and sculptures, the most magnificent things that man can even do. And I look at all these things and remind myself that according to scripture and the picture of the Savior that is painted for us in the word of God, that all that stuff is child's play. When you compare it to the glory of Jesus Christ, And he's given us his spirit now as a foretaste. Like when you're going through Costco and you're walking around and they say, hey, would you like a sample? And you go, why, yes, I think I do. (laughs) And you take that salted caramel chocolate thing, whatever it might be, and you sample it and you go, oh, that's good. I think I'll take the whole thing home. The Holy Spirit is given to us now as a foretaste of the glory that is to come. That he gives us right now a taste of ever-present joy and peace in a world of discontentment and in a world of anxiety and in a world that is unpredictable where all of our plans fall by the wayside time and time again. When you watch the news and you go, oh no, what's going on? What's gonna happen? I don't know about this or that. What in the, how is this gonna, oh, I've got the Holy Spirit. I am bought with the blood of Christ. I have the Lamb of God before me as the reason that I'm alive anyway. So if it all, what if it all just crashes and burns? I win (laughs) because I belong to Jesus. And all this other stuff that the world's making me go, what if you lose it? What if you lose it? Oh no, what if it all crashes and burns? You go, yeah, it's, it's gonna anyways. This is all fleeting and transitory anyways. The glory and beauty of the majesty of Jesus Christ face to face will blow away any and every beauty you've ever beheld or imagined in your eyes. He is worthy. While the world is preoccupied with entertainment and pleasure and comfort and convenience and control and status and government, the heart that trusts steadfast in the Lord of the universe, that heart 
is preoccupied with holiness and prayer and scripture and missions and evangelism and discipleship and with godly hospitality and with sacrificial love and service. We who have our hope not in the here and now, but in the eternal, we live different. We live different. Not because we have a rule book saying you better and you better not. There are commands from our Lord there that we are called to obey. Yet we live different because our prize isn't even here. As Paul told, we, we run the race, right? As Hebrews says, we press on towards that. We run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If you are breathing right now, none of us has promised anything else. If you are breathing right now, you can use that breath to repent of sin and trust in Christ. If you are given another breath by the riches of the grace and mercy and generosity of God, you can use that breath to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. If you are given another day, another month, another year, another decade, Lord willing, if you are given a hundred years of life of these vapor droplets, you can use every droplet that is here today and gone tomorrow unto the mission and purposes of God unto the glory of God. One of our values as a church is that we say yes to the greater things. It's on our website, it's in our values, it's on our wall out there. We say yes to the greater things and then under that it says, because we are called to live in light of eternity. We say no to the transitory, momentary, fleeting things that are beneath the glory of God. And we say yes to the things with our vapors that serve the means and the end of the mission, the purposes, and the glory of God. As we close, back to James 4, 15 through 17, he said, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He says, that's how we ought, that's the attitude we ought to have. Not, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that as if we have the authority, the control to make those things happen. We plan, yes. We seek the Lord and try to honor him with our plans and consult him with our plans. But that statement that if the Lord wills is placing our perspective under God's control. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Notice it's not solely about the words used, but about the perspective that leads to the words used. The sin is not just saying, I will do this. The sin is what's happening in the heart of saying, I will do this. It's I will do fill in the blank that comes from a perspective excuse me, that we have control. While saying, if the Lord wills, I will do this, that comes from a perspective of the scope of God's sovereignty and cosmic rule. 
And then he wraps it all up, this part by saying, and whoever knows what is right to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. That really is once more the thread throughout the entire book of James, that if you see the needy and you don't help and serve them, the widow and the orphan, if you don't care for them, if you see the poor and destitute and do not help them, if you know the good things to do but do not do them, if you say you have faith but do not work it out, it's sin. And that applies to all of us and we are all guilty of that. Thank the Lord that we have a good Father who even though this book of James keeps slapping all of us around, that it is not from a father who doesn't love, from us, or love us. Rather, it is from a good and perfect and loving father who uses conviction to draw us back unto him, to invite us into more, to invite us higher than the petty, fleeting things of this world. God is in control and our life is a vapor. And if we keep that perspective in place, we don't plan or talk arrogantly as if life isn't a vapor or as if we are in control. Let's live in light of eternity. Let's use our lives, not waste our lives so that we can stand before the Lord, give an account and say, here's what I, I did everything I could to accomplish your purposes, to tell as many people as I could about Jesus, to call as many people as I could into saving faith and repentance. I did everything I could, Lord. Let's live in light of eternity right now by getting right with him if we're not. If today you're hearing all this and you're going, man, I could be called at any moment and I'm not sure that I, I'm right with him. Use your breath right now to repent of sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And the other way that we live in light of eternity is by making the most of our time, by not wasting our lives on frivolous things, but by investing our lives into eternity. Our schedules, our money, our skills, our homes, our lives. May we make an eternal impact unto the glory of God because we have a good Father in heaven, who is the light of salvation for all.